welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, Awaken Church. That's all you need to know. I'm speaking. Everything else is just details. I got all my stuff up here. I have this because last service, this did not quite was not quite adequate. You get up here and you get into this and. You guys maybe haven't noticed this, but you guys don't have any air conditioning here. <laughs> I sweat in my church, and we have air conditioning. So, But it reminds me, when we first were starting, going from school to school, we didn't have air conditioning, and I, throughout the summer, would be uh, just drenched by the end of each message. So we decided that we would reframe this. Instead of being, boy, what a sweaty preacher we have, uh, we referred to it as the anointing. So, so if I'm up here and I'm just sweating and all that, you say, oh, he's getting anointed. The power of God's coming on him. Oh, hallelujah. All right. So I'm sure that for many of us, um, the last couple of weeks have been kind of difficult, challenging. We've seen uh, on uh, the news just some horror stories that I'm sure most of us never dreamed would be happening in our country. Uh, children being taken from parents on the Texas border and they're being separated and held in different places. The parents having to give up their kids, not knowing when they're going to see their kids again, not knowing where their kids are going, or even if, in some cases, they're going to see their kids again. Um, and it, it was truly gut-wrenching. If you let that kind of thing get under you, if, 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 if you are willing to hurt with those who hurt and enter into that, be incarnational, it, it, it's just put yourself in the position of that mother and put yourself in the position of that child. And, and apart from whatever opinions you might have politically, that's, that's over here, what, what you think is good for America or whatever, but we're talking about these people, these people, this population group. Really all over the planet, there are, there are millions now of refugees who are caught in a no man's land where they can't go back to their country, but there's no country that will accept them in. It's a new phenomenon we have here. And, and uh, that's, that's really what we have going on in our, on our borders. They call it a detention center, but it's really a refugee camp. And, but ours is unique. Among all the cruel aspects of refugee camps, ours, ours is unique in splitting families apart. And, and as a deterrent, so others won't come here. Install terror in the children and on the parents so that others won't come here. Some could argue that that is itself an act of terrorism, when you motivate through terror. See, and, and we all have political opinions about what would be good for America, should we have borders or not, how strong the border, blah, 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 blah. Okay, fine, fine. But we can never let the political, and there's a legitimate debate about that, and, and good and intelligent people can disagree on that. And so it is for almost all political matters. And, and we have to take great care that we don't get sucked into the toxic polarity of our current political climate, which is so, so, so very ugly. Uh, it's just, we have to be careful not to get sucked into that. But we must never let our political opinions get in the way of what we are called to do, right? What, what, we're, what we as a people of God are called to do. And among other things, we're called to be, as your board says, incarnational. Because everything we're supposed to do towards others is a reflection of what God's done towards us. And he, he, he entered into solidarity with us when we were hurting, in need, and desperate. And our call is to enter into solidarity with others. 
uh, who are hurting and in need and desperate, and to let that pain on the inside. And so when you do that, and stop seeing this as a, them as a political issue, a political pawn to be put around. But see them as human beings. Human beings made in the image of God. Human beings for whom Jesus died. Human beings that we are called to love. When you see that and let that in, it, it's, it's very, very, very painful. Thankfully, there was an uprising, major uprising, on, on both sides of the aisle, uh, saying that this is not us. This is repugnant. And, and so the policy is, has been uh, officially revoked, Although it's still a disaster, there's still 2,300 kids that are displaced. Uh, some of their parents are already gone, have already been deported, and there's not a system in place to find out how, uh, how to connect these kids. So keep them in prayer. But it's been, it's been a nightmare. Now, what I want to do this morning is this. It's, it's kind of a, I take a special pleasure in, and it's not necessarily godly either, but <laughs> let's be honest with you. I, I, when politicians use verses to support their positions, I love to expose their misuse of Scripture because it bugs me. It really bugs me. Um, and, and, and so this week, or actually this was last week, I'm sure some of you have seen this, where our Attorney General, uh, Jeff Sessions, uh, cited the Bible in support of this uh, position, this, uh, this policy of separating parents and children. Um, and so uh, here's, here's what he said. Here's a portion of it. Due to the Apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans uh, 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained the government for his purposes. Orderly and lawful processes are good in themselves. Consistent, fair application of law is in itself a good and moral thing, and that protects the weak. It protects the lawful. Our policies that can result in short-term separation of, of families is not unusual or unjustified. All right, there you have it. Um, I want to be clear at the very start that I don't have any beef with uh, our Attorney General himself. Uh, I, you know, the Bible says that Love, believes all things, hopes all things. And so I am just going to trust that he's doing the best he can, calling his, he's doing what he thinks is right, and, and, and all of that. And I don't deny that there's a legitimate debate to be had about you know, what kind of borders should America have, strong borders, weak borders. Uh, those kind of matters people, good and intelligent people can disagree on. So my beef isn't with him personally. In fact, I don't even fault him for interpreting Romans 13 the way he does because the way he's interpreting it is the, the dominant way that, that the church has interpreted it since the fourth century, when the church first came into political power and grabbed hold of that, Romans 13 became very advantageous. Because if you convince people of this interpretation of Romans 13, well then they have to submit to you. Um, so I, I, my, 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 my issue is with his use of this passage. And the reason I take issue with his use of this passage, as I do with most politicians' use of biblical passages, <laughs> is this, that... They use passages to support policies. And in doing that, in aligning the Bible with their politics, anyone who disagrees with their politics finds, then has cause to disagree with the Bible, which they think is a disagreement with the Bible. In other words, this Bible is being used to support a position, a policy, which is the majority of Americans, both Republican and Democrat, agree is repugnant. 
revolting. Um, and so what ha can happen is that folks who are revolted by the policy that they think the Bible is supporting now begin to be revolted by the Bible. And since I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ, I care about his PR department. And uh, this isn't good for his PR department. So I always feel the need, whenever a passage is abused publicly, to say, well, here's a different way of looking at it. And that's what I'd like to do here this morning, really take a look at this passage and say, does it say what, what it seems like uh, uh, Jeff Sessions is saying that it's supposed to say? So let's read it. Romans 13, and I'll just read the first two verses of, uh, of, of this chapter. Here's what it says. That every person, and what, what makes this particularly important is that on a surface reading of Romans 13, it, it could look like it supports the position that uh, Jeff is uh, quoting it for. Uh, it says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. The word there is tasso. Everyone say tasso. Okay, I'm going to learn a little Greek this morning. I'll explain that a little bit later on. But it's like that word, and it's important, tasso. Therefore, whoever resists authority, now the word there is antitasso. Everyone say antitasso. And as you might suspect, antitasso is what is contrary to tasso. If you're against tasso, you're antitasso. It'll become clear later on. You'll see. You'll see. The, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Okay, so whenever you come upon a passage that is, is uh, that makes it, your head tilt a little bit, and you go, What? It's always good just to be out loud and honest with, the, with, with questions that you have about it. First task is to be honest. Always be honest reading the Bible. Uh, God isn't afraid of your questions. He's not intimidated. If, if something doesn't seem right, then say that. Just be out loud about that. Now here, this passage is being used this way. Um, all government, all authority, has been ordained by God or instituted by God. It's translated in different ways. Tassoed by God. And, and that means then that if you resist the authority, you're resisting God. And as it's being used in this instant, uh, it, it, since, since Trump was elected president, uh, it must be the case that he is ordained by God. Because all authority, all government is ordained by God. So if he's in charge, it must be because God wants him to be in charge. And therefore, to resist his policies is to resist God. So comply. If you really think you're a Christian, comply to the will of God. Now, is that true? Let's think about this. Is that the case? Let's ask honest questions about that. If that's true, then one question that comes to mind is this. Whoever believes that interpretation of Romans 13 should not ever celebrate July 4th. Think about it. Who do we think we are rebelling against God? That's what the American Revolution was all about, right? Now, I happen to know that our Attorney General is a big fan of July 4th and America being an independent nation. I don't think he'd want to be British for any reason. And so yeah, I think he probably thinks this is a good thing. But it was all about rebelling against the governing authority. In fact, the, the, the British were always pointing this out to us Americans. You can't rebel against us. We're in charge. And that means God wants us in charge because every authority that's in charge has been ordained by God. And therefore, if you resist us, you're resisting God. And for a long while, Americans said, well, that's true. You know, we're, we're supposed to be Christians, so I guess we should submit. But there came a point when they still kept on raising those taxes where we finally said, forget this. 
it's ridiculous that a little tiny island over there should be taxing a continent, should be the other way around, if anything, and so we rebelled against them. Uh, do not, if this is your interpretation of Romans 13, do not celebrate July 4th. It will make you hypocritical. But even beyond that, if this interpretation is true, then if every, or every government's been ordained by God, well then, were those people who, who resisted Adolf Hitler, were they resisting God? He killed 10 million people in concentration camps. Was that part of God's will? And though were those who resisted Joseph Stalin with his 30 million murders, uh, were they resisting God? In fact, if you think about it, think about all the nightmarish regimes that the world's seen throughout the centuries. Have all those been ordained by God? Chimere Rouge, I mean, just think of the, 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 the monstrous, uh, are all those ordained by God? And then you could even go down a little further. Uh, was was Moses' parents, if all governments are ordained by God, then Pharaoh, when he's in charge, must be ordained by God. So were Moses' parents resisting God when they resisted Pharaoh and, and, and hid Moses in, in, the, in the water so that he could survive? Or what about Mary and Joseph? They were defying government authority when they ran from Herod. Herod was in charge. If all governments are ordained by God, then shouldn't they have been honoring Herod and let, let Herod kill Jesus? I, for one, think, I think I'm quite glad they didn't do that. But that would follow from this, something's off with this interpretation. Or what about the apostles? Were they, were, were they resisting God when they resisted uh, government authority to keep on preaching the gospel? And so we read this in, in, in Acts 5. These authorities say to the apostles, we gave you strict orders not to teach in Jesus' name. Yet here you are, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than human authority. Then they'll follow this. If they're saying we must obey God rather than human authority, your authority, your governmental authority, that presupposes, that assumes that not all human authority has been ordained by God. If all human authority was ordained by God, you couldn't possibly have this dichotomy between obeying God or human authority. You following this? And so they, they're, they're, their very position refutes this, uh, this, this, this reading of Romans 13. Sometimes, if, if, if a human authority in charge is decreeing things that are contrary to what God has decreed, then that is just a human authority and must be rejected in favor of God's authority. So you can't say all human authority is already uh, got divine authority behind it. Okay, those are some of the kind of questions that we should be asking as we're looking at this, uh, this Attorney General's interpretation of Romans 13. Something is off here. Now, to understand what's off, we kind of got to go back to the beginning. If you go to Genesis 1, what you find is that, 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 that the Lord gave us authority over the earth and the animal kingdom. And we're to carry out his will on earth as it is in heaven. It was our first mandate. I think it's still the best benchmark as, as to how we're doing as a species. species. How, are you how are you at taking care of the animals and, and, and the environment? Are, are, are you taking care? Are you reflecting God's loving care by the way we steward that? And the answer is we're not doing that very well at all, I don't think. But that's our first mandate. But notice that in this mandate, he didn't give us authority over one another. We're to rule the earth and the animal kingdom, but there's no sense of we're supposed to rule one another. And I submit to you that in God's original ideal, all human beings would simply be human beings who would be equal, and we'd all be under one authority, and that would be Yahweh. 
the, the, the idea of lording over others, ruling over others. Some people thinking they have the superior ideas and, and, and that they care more than others and therefore they want to impose their will on others. All of that, with all the conflict and strife and the fighting and violence that has come from it, all of that is the result of the fall. Now, this is why ancient Israel initially uh, didn't have a king. God didn't want ancient Israel to have a king because he wanted to put on display to all these other nations, all of whom had kings, he wanted to put on display what it would be like to have a people who didn't need a human king. It was a theocracy. They all just looked to God as their king. Unfortunately, that plan did not work all that well uh, because there came a time when Israel got scared. They got nervous. It's hard to keep trusting in an invisible king. We like to have a physical king like everybody else, some tangible king that will go out and fight our battles for us and, and all of that. And so they complained and complained and complained. And finally, Samuel went to the Lord and said, your people are wanting a king. And then we read this. The Lord says this. Listen, listen to the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For, this is Yahweh speaking to Samuel here. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. They have not rejected you, they have rejected me. Think about this statement for a second. The Israelites, in wanting to have a human king, were rejecting God as king. To put your trust in a human king, in a human authority, in somebody who's going to take care of all your problems, in, in doing that, we are rejecting God as king. And what God is simply saying here is he's, he's holding up the, his ideal as opposed to the real. His plan was never that human beings would ever have a king and put their trust in a king or any kind of government or anything like that. All of our trust and all of our faith is to be in the Lord himself. And so the, having any sort of trust, any sort of authority in another human being is to that degree rejecting God. What it means, folks, is this. If you've got Jesus Christ as Lord, you don't have any other Lord. Jesus Christ is your master, you have no other master. If Jesus Christ is your authority, you've got no other authority. Uh, you've got one Lord, you, you cannot serve two masters, Jesus says. Uh, I hear people and I, I read people say things like this all the time. Well, you know, we have to balance our allegiances. We have a dual citizenship and we've got to balance our allegiances. I, I, I submit to you that that's just wrong-headed thinking. We don't balance our allegiance to Jesus with something else. That's called idolatry. Uh, either Jesus is our Lord or he's not. And if he's our Lord, he gets our total allegiance. All of our loyalty, all of our allegiance is to be to him and to nothing else. There should be no competition. Now, the one that we worship as our Lord, he, he tells us to obey government as much as possible. So we should obey government as much as possible. But we do it because our one authority tells us to, not because anyone else has any other authority over us. I really only have one president, and it ain't Trump. <laughs> My president is the king of kings and the lord of lords and the god of all gods and the word of God, the image of God, the savior of the world. And he's always faithful, he's always good, he's always true, and you ain't going to find any earthly king for whom that is true. Amen? So all of our allegiance is to be found in, in, in Jesus Christ. The very idea of government, this, that, this is all part of this fallen world. Which brings us now to, back, back to Romans 13. What's going on in Romans 13? Let, let, let's break this down. So we have these governments here. Uh, it's a fallen world, and, and given the fallen world, we need law and order, we need society, we need, you know, these kind of things. If we were not falling, we wouldn't need any of this, but 
We are fallen, so we do. Now the question is, is what is God going to do with that? How's God going to respond to that? So uh, let's go over the two verses again, break it down a little more. Here's, here's what it says in Romans 13. Paul says, all authority is from God. All authority is from God. Can you put up Romans 13, 1? All authority is from God, and it says, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. So let's chew, chew on this a little bit. All authorities from God. Does that mean that all the authorities as they exist right now are from God? Which is how the Attorney General is taking it. All those governments, all those authorities are, are, are right from God just as they are. But that's not what the passage says. It simply says all authority is from God. It doesn't say that the way the authority is being used is of God. Look, at we all have a little bit of authority. You've got some say-so. You, you, you have choices, and those choices impact people. You get to affect the world. It's part of the, the, the responsibility of being made in the image of God. You have choices that may have implications for people's lives. You get to have say-so. You have a domain of authority, uh, of influence. And um, we all have that. Some have it more than others, but we all have some, some influence. And God's hope is that, that we will bring our authority in line with his authority so that now our choices reflect his character and his will, and now his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, but it doesn't have to happen this way. All of the authority you have is from God. But how you use it is up to you. God hopes you'll use it in a godly way, but you're free to use it in an ungodly way. So also, Paul is saying, all authority is from God, yes. But that doesn't mean that the way governments use that authority is the way God wants them to use that authority. Right? All authority is from God. And then he says that there's no, there's no authorities that have not been instituted by God. That's that important word, tasso. Um, here's the thing. That word, tasso, it has the kind of connotation of, of something being filed or something being ordered. Or sometimes it, it's used to, to assign a task. John Howard Yoder, in his books, the, the book, The Politics of Jesus, uses this analogy. He says it's like a librarian who finds, a, a librarian's job is to file books. So the librarian finds this book and then puts it in the right place, given the kind of book that it is. But it doesn't mean that the librarian likes the book, approves of the book, or anything. It just means that this is this kind of book. And given that it's this kind of book, it belongs in this category. So also, God doesn't, uh, doesn't necessarily like governments as they are, these sword-wielding governments. He, he wishes it didn't happen this way. But given that governments are going to be wielding the sword and lording over people and things of that sort, given that, God says, okay, well then I'll file them this way. I'll make use of them this way. Like a librarian would a book. Doesn't mean he likes it or approves of it. He certainly didn't create it. This is a result of the fall. But given this, he's going to tasso it. He's got a purpose that he brings to it. Or it also has a connotation of, of being assigned a task. Uh, for example, uh, in the early church, um, some of these false teachers came in and they were teaching that Jews and Gentiles both had to be circumcised. They were legalists. And then this fight broke out. And then we read this. By fight, I mean a debate, not a gunfight. Uh, it says, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed, Tasso, were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So look, at, it wasn't God's will that these false teachers would come and give this false teaching, and it wasn't God's will that this big controversy would break out. 
But given that it did, God now says, okay, well, what should we do with this? And the congregation is trying to discern this, and they decide that Paul and Barnabas should go up and talk about the matter up in Jerusalem. So they tossed it. They brought a purpose. They said, here's an assignment, a task. Okay, so this is what God does with governments. Given that this happened, not that it should have happened, I wish it didn't happen, but it did happen, and given that this happened, well, now I will assign a task to this. Um, notice the congregation gives this appointment because they think it's the will of God, but Paul and Barnabas didn't have to do it. They could have said, no, nah, you know, I don't want to do that. I'm kind of busy. Forget about it. It still would have been appointed to them to do it. It's just that they decided not to do it. Or they could have done a poor job or they could have done a good job. You know, that something's been appointed says nothing about what results from the appointment. So also, God appoints governments. But that says nothing about whether the governments are doing what God appointed them to do. What, 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 what Paul's getting at here is simply this. Given this fallen world, given that there's this proclivity towards violence, given that there's people who won't do the right thing for the right reason, but they'll only do the right thing because doing the wrong thing will get them in prison or they'll get some other kind of punishment. They have to have external motives. Given that reality, God is going to be involved in the working of these governments to try to get them to punish wrongdoers, to keep sin in check, to promote righteousness, to have as much good as can come from this as possible and minimize the evil that could come from this. Given that, that, that you know, God is not above, he, he's, he's not too prissy to get his hands dirty, he's willing to get involved in this. Even though government's predicated on the fall, predicated on human rebellion, predicated on rejecting God as king, despite all that, God says, I'll be involved in this to bring about as much good as possible. That he brings a tasso to the government. But that doesn't mean that the way the governments are reflects that tasso. Uh, some do more than others, but... He's certainly not saying that they all already do that, obviously, because they don't all just punish wrongdoers and, and keep sin in check. They often do some very, very corrupt things, including our own government. So that's verse 13.1. Uh, they've all been tasseled by God. But then in verse, in, in verse 2, Paul says, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed. Whoever resists this is antitasso. Now, he just used the word tasso. God has a tasso for these governments. Whoever is anti-tasso, anti-tasso, resist, is rejecting that tasso. But it doesn't mean that you're rejecting the, the, God. Look, if, if a government is doing God's tasso, follow this because it could get a little complicated because I'm talking Greek here. I probably sound like I'm speaking in tongues. But... <laughs> Given, if a government is doing God's tasso, if they are using their sword-wielding capacity, which God hates, but since they're going to have it, he'll use it. If God's going to use this, if a government's using it for, to promote good and justice and punishing wrongdoers, well, then, then Paul says, don't, don't rebel against it. Because if you rebel against it while it's carrying out God's tasso, you are anti-tasso. But if the government's not carrying out the tasso, you can't possibly be anti-tasso. You can only be anti-tasso if there's a tasso to be anti. <laughs> All right? You follow this? And so if a government is not being just, if a government's not carrying out God's, God's will, uh, the purpose that God brings to it, then you're not resisting God by resisting the government. The government's resisting God. The government now is anti-tasso because they won't accept the tasso that God wants to give them. And now you are reflecting God's tasso by being anti-tasso to the government that's anti-tasso. Handle, handle, handle. 
If you're visiting here, this is not a Pentecostal church. <laughs> so you're following this. But Paul, is, so since the fifth century, it's been to the advantages of the power brokers, the folks in charge, to try to convince people that the very fact that we are in charge, uh, it means that, that we're in God's will because we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for God's will. And therefore, you have to submit. And that's a nice piece of leverage that you have. Uh, if, it's interesting, but everyone always cites this passage when their views are represented in the government. Oh, we must all submit. But as soon as their views are reflected, no one appeals to Romans 13, including the attorney general. He's had some things against the government. He's resisted the government a lot. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of things he's been you know, fighting against. Uh, and he never quotes Romans 13 in those contexts. It's only when your views are the ones that you uh, are being represented. Then all of a sudden, oh, it's of God. We must submit. We have no choice. And so, but it's, it's uh, I'm telling you, a, a crock. Now, here's the thing. We have our own assignment as kingdom people. Uh, and ultimately, it boils down to one law. Uh, in fact, it's found here right here in Romans 13. A little bit later on, uh, uh, Paul says that, that uh, the, the command, all the commandments, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, all of those are summed up in one command, and that's that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. And whoever does that, Paul says, fulfills the whole law. Uh, our, our job, whatever government does or doesn't do, and whatever your opinions are about what government should or shouldn't do, Whatever that is, our call is singular. It is to love others the way Christ has loved us, all others. To love all people at all times, in all situations, in all conditions. No ifs, ands, buts, maybes, exception clauses, fine print, take backs, or anything else. It's just an unconditional command. Live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. To live in love means that there's no off button. To live in love means as long as you're alive... You've got to be loving. So you never have to ask the question, gosh, should I love this person or not? You never have to ask that. The answer is always yes. If you're wondering about it, check, your, check do you have a pulse? Ah, you're alive, therefore you must love. Live in love. Uh, do you have any breath? Are you breathing at all? Oh, good. That must, it must be the right time to love. Are there, is there any brain activity going on whatsoever? If there is, it must be the right time to love. The criteria for whether you should love or not isn't the, the merits of the person in front of you. The criteria is, are you alive? <laughs> Because if you're a kingdom person and you're alive, our, your job is to love unconditionally without question. Enemy, friend, foe, it just doesn't matter. And to live in love then means that if you're going to live in love and carry that out, live it out consistently, you have to reject all that is not consistent with love. We have to reject everything in the culture and everything in the political system that is contrary to our call to replicate the love that was shown to us towards others. Uh, it, 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 and it doesn't matter whether the person is legal or, or illegal. Our call is to love them the way Christ has loved us. I mean, when we were foreigners and strangers to the things of God, Jesus Christ did everything possible and everything necessary to make us insiders, praise God. When we were citizens of the kingdom of darkness and we did it voluntarily, he did everything he could to make us citizens of the kingdom of God. And we were, when we were enemies of his, Jesus did everything necessary and everything possible to make us friends, to make us beloved children, to adopt us into his own family. When we were blind, he did everything necessary to, to open our eyes so we could see. And when we were dead in our sins, he did everything possible to make us alive in Christ Jesus. And so when we were poor outsiders, Jesus Christ made us rich insiders. Though he was rich, he made himself poor so that we might become spiritually rich. And now we're, not only are we insiders, but we were placed in Christ Jesus and blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. So knowing that we were aliens and outsiders to the things of God, but now we find ourselves on the, on, on, on the inside, 
how could we not but have this tremendous love and compassion to anybody on the planet who finds himself on the outside? We are the quintessential outsiders who have been made absolute insiders, and our job is to replicate that love to all people at all times. How could that not cause us to have a special love and a special heart for people who are on the outside of the system and are ostracized by that? In fact, you find throughout the Bible that God has a special heart for the outsiders, for the underdogs, for the judged, uh, for, for, for the marginalized, to the point where Jesus identifies with them. And so far as you do it to the least of me, you're doing it to me. He takes this very seriously. And throughout the Bible, here's what I find interesting. I don't expect our, our government or any government to ever act Christian because no government in this world is going to turn the other cheek or whatever. But since the door has been opened to talk about what the Bible has to say about immigration, if you want to quote a verse or two, that'd be fun. <laughs> but Romans 13 isn't the place to go to. Do you know that if you find this throughout the Bible, that one of the most Common reasons given as to why nations came under judgment is because they weren't hospitable. They weren't willing to share what they had with people who were in need, who came to them in need. That takes God off. And, and if you're going to talk about any verse that we should maybe be worrying about right now, I would think it would be all of those verses, and there's about a hundred of them. But our job is to not try to just be the lords of our government, but just called to do what we're called to do in every way, shape, and form, to care about the illegal immigrant, but don't stop there. Our, it doesn't matter whether a person is legal or illegal, whether they're black or white or Hispanic, Latino, Native American, you name it. It doesn't matter whether they're gay or whether they're straight or whether they're, 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 they're fr a personal friend or a personal foe or a national friend or a national foe. It doesn't matter. Our call, our call is to love. Not based on any merits or anything we see in front of us. It's rather based on the fact that we're alive, and this is what God calls us to do. And that requires us then to resist everything, to be against everything that would, is the opposite of love towards people, is the opposite of, of, of ascribing worth to them. Anything that dehumanizes them, our job is to resist that, to, to be anti-tasso if that's the tasso that they have. All right? Now, the primary way we do that is not, first and foremost, by expressing our opinions about what government should do. The primary way we do this is not by our words at all, it's by how we live. How we actually live individually, but also as a church body. And, and how we're to live is this. You know, Jesus, he, he showed what, he, what we were worth to him by what he was willing to sacrifice. Man, is it getting hot up here. Back when we didn't have air conditioning, we used to call it the, the anointing. I'm getting anointed here. Hallelujah. <laughs> Gloria. Because I'm a sweat hog. Total sweat hog. Okay, what was I saying? Oh, yes. So, so here's the thing. To live in love as Christ loved us. Jesus, he showed that we have unsurpassable worth to him by virtue of the fact that he was willing to pay an unsurpassable price for us. And then he says to us, go and do likewise to all people. We show what something is worth to us by by what we're willing to sacrifice for it. And so, so the, the, the primary way that we resist the powers, that we resist everything that's contrary to love is simply by being a contrast society, a, a group of people who refuse to conform to the culture or the political system insofar as the culture and the political system is contrary to the love that we're called to manifest to all people at all times. Uh, it, 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 we're, we're to take responsibility for the needs around us. For so long, the church is is uh, just push that off on, oh, it's, that's government's job. No, it's not. I mean, it's great if government does that, 
But the church needs to take responsibility. We're the ones who are called to love, and love isn't an abstract, gushy thing in our heart. Love is about bleeding. Here's how we know what love is, John says in 1 John 3, 16. Here's how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so also we should lay down our life for one another. Love bleeds. Love sacrifices. Love ascribes worth to another at cost to yourself. And so we've got to be asking the question, what can we do individually and corporately to bleed for those who are hurting under racism? What can we do to bleed for those who are, who are suffering, uh, uh, who are ostracized, who have prejudice against them? What can we do for the homeless, for the hungry, for the at-risk inner-city youth? What can we do about uh, the folks that are, are being shot on a weekly basis and, and ask questions, what, how do we pull a re- Like you did with the closet here, that's perfect. Like, here's a thing that serves people. Let's get behind it and raise $5,000 for it. That's what I'm talking about. That's bleeding. I always say the kingdom, the kingdom begins with your first drop of blood. It's only insofar as our faith pinches us that it costs us anything, and only to that degree are we looking like Jesus Christ crucified, loving like Jesus Christ crucified, which is our, our, our main task. So the, the main way that we manifest this isn't with our opinions, because everyone's got opinions, but it's how we actually live. And I actually think that until we're actually living in a way that reflects the love of God, we really don't have much right to be talking about it. If we're not doing it, then it's just, it's just an opinion. Still, there is a time to speak. There's a time to speak. It's not our primary way of manifesting love, but it is a way. And, and, uh, and here we have to be careful to stay humble, to not get caught up in the toxicity of this political atmosphere that we find ourselves in, which is so terribly toxic. We have to be careful about it. Avoid, uh, you know, respect the ambiguity of the political systems. But see, here's the thing. There, there comes a time when you have to say something. You may not, we're called to be incarnational. I like your word over there, incarnational. That's, that's one of the ways that we love like Jesus loves. It's not in the abstract. It's by allowing ourselves to see people as people. Not as statistics, not as a political problem, but to see them in all their humanity. To incarnate yourself in their world, to empathize with them. So you may not be an illegal immigrant. But um, we have to, as the body of Christ, consider that child that is taken from the mother to be our child, to enter into that, feel the pain of that, and enter into the world of this terrorized mother who's now losing her child. Our call is to enter into that and to, and to just say, to lend our voice to their collective ouch and to say, this is wrong. This is, this is, this is just wrong. And see, if we don't say that, we're saying something very clearly. We're saying... You're not worth caring about. We we don't care about your concerns because you're not worth caring about. And that message is the opposite of what the gospel is all about. The gospel is all about reflecting the love of God towards all people at all times and all situations. Same thing with, you may not be black. Man, maybe you don't have any black kids or grandkids, but you know what? That 17-year-old who gets shot in the back running from police... Uh, and I don't even know what happened last night, but that, that's our kid. We, we, have, we have to own that, be incarnational, enter into that. And now enter into the life of the parents who are now just heartbroken because of this. And we give our voice to that and we say, ouch, this is wrong, this is wrong. And we're not saying we're smarter than anybody or we know how to fix the world or we have all the solutions. We're just saying, no, we are in solidarity with these people. Why? Because Jesus is in solidarity with us. And our job is to replicate that towards others. There's a time when you have to say, not just live it out, but you have to say it and speak it and call attention to it. And, um, you know, you may not be homeless, you may not be hungry, you may not be on the street, but 
the mother with two kids who sleeps one more night under the bridge, that's, that's, those are our kids and that's our sister and our brother. And we have to enter into that. And it's out of that incarnational pain that we find the motivation to bleed, to give towards others, to bleed towards others. And so, folks, uh, Romans 13 is no justification for this horrendous policy that we've had down on the south of the border. Thankfully, folks rose up, and, and the policy was, after months, of, after months of being told that it can't be changed, it was magically changed. Hallelujah. But it's still a bloody mess down there because we've got 2,300 kids and, and who aren't connected with their parents yet, and it's not even clear how they're going to get connected with their parents, so there still is need for prayer and, and, and for, for work down there. But folks, that's our, our job. Whatever government does or doesn't do, and whatever you think government does, should do or shouldn't do, our call is singular. It's to love as Jesus loved individually and collectively, to manifest that love to the world. That's the good news. At the end of the day, all the kingdoms of this world, they're going to come to nothing. They're here today, gone tomorrow, including this one, that the kingdom of God lasts forever. And all that we do for the kingdom of God lasts forever. You take that with you. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.